66 books, dozens of authors, a holy canon thousands of years in the making. Consider the works, accounts of history and law, prophecy and poetry, verses of wisdom and letters from friends. Now, look again. What do you see? Behind the fallen creation, where the first son Adam led all humanity astray, there is the faithful son, a new Adam, who fulfills the promise and crushes the serpent's head. In the waters of the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there is a greater vessel by which all God's children are saved. On the altar of desperation, just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, comes the answer from the wilderness, behold the lamb. For a thirsty people, just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness, there is a rock whose living water satisfies forever. In the battle against Goliath, where an unlikely king became a champion for his people, we see the shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In the long exile of a people, Isaiah's eyes were opened to a vision of salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the promised land. Until finally, in humble manger lay the hope of the world, the king who reigns from a throne of straw to Calvary's cross to the deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story casts his shadow. Every word, every verse bears his testimony. The Holy Messiah, Jesus Christ, Eternal King. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. It's been about six weeks since uh, I've been in Alhambra. I'm Randy Lanthrop. Just to reintroduce myself, I'm the senior pastor of Church in the Valley, and I'm pinch hitting for Alex uh, today, sort of. It's kind of my normal time to be here, but Alex has been in, in England visiting his grandmother, and he's a little foggy today, just a little unclear. I asked him a question before the service and took him a while to come up with focus on where he was. But I'm really glad to be here. Uh, we're nearing the end of our message series in which we're following some of the highlights of God's epic storyline in the history of mankind. And watching that video, it, it showed it referenced a lot of stories that we've had to just blow past. There, there are a lot of good things that God's done in the lives of the people, uh, his people throughout history that we've had to go over. But what we see in this, this video, this roll in here, is a thread of redemption that ties the story together. There's an amazing amount of unity in the 66 books of Scripture. So today we're focusing on re redemption as we reach the pivotal event that God graciously executed to redeem us, to bring us back to himself. The main events that we've looked at are creation, the fall, and redemption. We've discovered some great themes woven through the Bible that reveal God's love and his plan uh, for the people that he's made. Creation showed us that people have an incredibly high value to God. We, we are extremely valuable to him. 
And he's given us a great world in which to live and enjoy. He, he put us in a, in a beautiful world. And the setting we live in was designed for us to live and work and enjoy a friendship with him. What we see way back in the beginning of time is that God put the first man and woman in a beautiful setting and they enjoyed a close friendship with him. The picture is that they, they walked and talked with him in, in a very close friendship. So that's, that's where we were. But at the same time, God gave boundaries for our good for, to the first man and woman so that we would have a choice of whether or not we served him, loved him back as he poured his love out to us. And that's what makes a friendship meaningful, isn't it? Uh, just the ability to choose it or not. If we weren't able to choose it, that would be zero meaningful in the big scale of things. Um, for instance, arranged marriages don't seem to make sense here if you grew up in the U.S. It makes sense if you have a daughter, like I do. <laughs> I, I just got to say makes more and more sense the older you get. Um, but what we want to do is we want to discover the one and connect and choose to give ourselves to them. That, that's meaningful to us. That makes sense where we are. So God gave us a choice to rebel or not. And the fall of man is something we looked at way back at the beginning of this series. And it refers to the moment when the first man and woman broke through the boundaries God had established for them. This introduced evil into the world, the pain and suffering that goes with it. And God responded to the choice to go our own way, the first man and woman, with consequences that we all live under. And what he hopes is that these consequences that we experience, which are trouble in work and relationships and, and different sources of pain and suffering that we go through, what he hopes is that we would turn back to him in the middle of the frustration of dealing with these things, in the pain, in the hurt. He, he wants us to turn back to him and give our lives to him once again. Things like aggravating and unsettling conflict. Uh, we, we have this with those close to us. And often we just try to fix it ourselves. We try to, or we just give up. The, the trouble, the problems at work that make it harder than it should be are incredibly irritating and frustrating. God wants us in these moments to keep turning to him. He also, as he wired in those consequences in the fall, uh, he also immediately responds to our rebellion and love and compassion by promising to execute a plan of redemption to buy us back. He made us. When something is made or people are made, they belong to the one who made them. But God gave us a choice to follow or not. We chose to go away. And he redeems us. He buys us back through a plan to pay for our rebellion and sin toward him. 
So early in our history, God began to show how sacrifice is the key to forgiveness of sins. Adam and Eve's son, Abel, offers the best and firstborn lamb, which pleased God. Abraham had to be willing to sacrifice his son in faith. He, he was willing, but he was never going to have to ask, uh, sacrifice his son. But this points to what we're talking about today. Later, Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt, which shows that God keeps his promises over a long period of time, hundreds and hundreds of years. He keeps his promise, and he is working his plan from generation to generation to redeem the people that he made. The, the Exodus is also a picture of how God wants to free us from slavery to sin, which is a battle for all of us. All, all of these themes that we've looked at and uh, the, the stories that have highlighted the different themes that we've looked at, all of those things converge on the event that we're looking at today. And I was thinking before, and I was talking to someone before the service just about how how hard it is to communicate in 30 minutes or so the significance of the event that we're looking at today. But God's epic story culminates in one final act of sacrifice. Jesus' cousin John, a.k.a. John the Baptist, also known as John the Baptist, he played a role at the outset of Jesus' ministry it was prophesied hundreds of years prior to this that when the Messiah came to earth, when the Son of God came to earth to begin executing the plan of redemption, uh, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness would prepare the way for him. Isaiah 43 is, is the reference that you can look up and check out what, what was said hundreds of years before the fact. Well, cousin John was this man. He wore a garment of camel's hair, you find out as you get into scripture, a leather belt around his waist. He ate a diet of locusts and wild honey. Bear Grylls, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Man vs. Wild, had, had nothing on him. Okay? I mean, I've seen Bear Grylls eat some stuff that, whoa, no thank you. But but John, this is what he ate, locusts and wild honey. This was his diet. He was, he was a, a man of the wilderness. Let's put it that way. So the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John began to announce the coming of the kingdom of heaven, and, and he called for repentance. He baptized those who were repented. And this is the way that he gathered a following. Uh, one day, he was with a crowd. And Jesus approached the crowd. And as Jesus approaches the crowd, John makes a significant statement that picks up the thread we've been seeing in Scripture. This is what he says. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a reference to the Passover lamb. This is a reference to all the sacrifice. It's, it's God has been, what, what this statement is showing us is that throughout history, God has been telling the story of Jesus. 
by instructing his people to sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Skipping ahead to the end of Jesus' life, we're going to bookend it because we don't, we don't have that much time today. I'd like to get into a passage that really looks back at what Jesus did on the cross and pull some insight out of it for ourselves. So we're bookending from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his life. But the timing of the crucifixion is also very important in, in the story. Like a giant billboard. It revealed why Jesus died on the cross. And this is what is said. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. This is Pilate saying this, because Pilate was the one who oversaw the trial of Jesus, and he wanted to have nothing to do, really, with his death. But he brings him out. And the key thing in this passage is it was the day of preparation for the Passover. The day of preparation was the time when the Passover lamb was killed in preparation for the meal of the Passover, which celebrated the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. The Passover was the feast that remembered God sparing them and freeing them from slavery in Egypt. God arranged this timing to show that Jesus is the once and for all Passover lamb who died to pay for our sins. God's master plan was coming together in history. That's what you see here. Pilate, as I said, was the Roman governor uh, who tried Jesus. He avoided making the decision to crucify him as best he could. And so he, he thought Jesus was innocent, but he let the people make the call. And here's what's said. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The day of Jesus' crucifixion pointed to the reality behind his death. The innocent and rightful king of our world was led like a lamb to the slaughter. A second detail I'd like to point out from the crucifixion shows the effect. The first one is the timing that it was on the day of preparation for the Passover, which is like a billboard proclaiming what it was all about. The second one is something that happened at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross. Mark records the exact moment of Jesus' death this way. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Here's a model of what the temple looked like in Jesus' day. Um, that, that tall structure is, is what I'd like to show you the blueprint of what, what goes on in that tall structure there in the middle of the temple. Um, you see there are some things in the outer courtyard. There's an altar for burnt offerings. And then inside that taller structure is the holy place separated by a curtain. And then there's the most holy place. And so the most holy place represented the immediate presence of God. And this is 
This is actually a blueprint of the, the tabernacle that was carried around when uh, God delivered the Israelites from, from Egypt. They transported the tabernacle everywhere. And so it represented that the presence of God is in the midst of his people and he was in the most holy place. Same, it was the same blueprint in the temple. The holy place separated by a curtain and the most holy place. The curtain being torn at Jesus' death is significant because the most holy place represented God's immediate presence. The curtain of the temple separated people from his presence. The high priest was the only one who could enter the most holy place which was also referred to as the Holy of Holies, once a year on the Day of Atonement. The curtain being torn was a message that Jesus' death on the cross removed the barrier between God and men. This is an event that shows that we now can have direct access to God through Jesus if we accept his death on the cross as payment for our sins. We no longer need a priest to mediate for us, to go between God and ourselves. Tearing this curtain was not easy. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 4 inches thick. I don't know, at at 58, my hands are having a more and more difficult time tearing uh, thick fabric. But 4 inches... There's no way I could tear that fabric. The six-story high curtain was torn from top to bottom, which meant that God had torn the curtain, not man. This is a, a clear message that Jesus' death on the cross was the means for restoring, that God used to restore man's relationship to himself. Men and women can now come to him through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So we see that Jesus' sacrifice redeems us. Redemption is the definition of it means the action of saving or or being saved from sin, error, or evil. Uh, We've been looking at God's plans for the redemption of the world. The second meaning is the action which is more uh, the the more non-religious version of the meaning, Um, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. So we've been redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Take a look at Hebrews 10. I'm going to spend some time in Hebrews 10 because it looks back and makes sense of this event and how helpful (laughs) the benefits that we have of Jesus' death on the cross. It says in Hebrews 10, And by that will, God's will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when the This priest, Jesus, 
had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's through Jesus' death on the cross that we're able to connect with the living God. He paid for our sin. He bought us back into a relationship with God. He paid for our sin, which restores our friendship with God. When, when we choose to turn from going our own way and decide to follow Christ and give our lives to him, accept Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins, then we are saved from sin that once separated us from God. What that means is we don't have to do religion to be made right with God. When we choose to believe and accept Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, our friendship with God is restored. This is what he's been doing from the beginning of time. This, when, when the first man and woman decided to rebel, decided to go their own way, live independent of God, he gave them the choice to do that. When they did, it separated us from God. And what God has been doing is he's building, he's been working in history, arranging it, putting it together, working through somehow weaving his plan in and through the choices that men and women made throughout the centuries to restore man's relationship with God. When we choose to believe our relationship, our friendship with God is restored. The friendship we enjoy because of Jesus' sacrifice completely changes our outlook in life. We, we shift our outlook all the time as we experience life. There, there are things that happen that cause us to completely shift our, our outlook. Significant change is one of those. Like you get a new job. And maybe you've had the old job, it became stale, and you know you, you just fell into a pattern, a routine, and you, you, maybe you weren't proud of the effort you gave at the old job. A new job gives you a fresh start, and you can look at it very differently, and that, that change begins to shift your whole outlook toward work. Getting married might give you a new perspective on responsibility and caring for another person. Saying that it might give you a new outlook is an understatement, massive understatement. Okay. <laughs> that is an event that completely clues you in to some things that you had never considered before. This, this happens all the time. When, when my mom passed away uh, several years ago, that meant my mom and dad were both gone. That since there was no generation between me and heaven, completely shifted the way I think about things. Because now, I'm a lot closer. It seemed like I was a lot closer. That was an event that completely shifted my outlook on life. So these outlook shifts, these changes in our outlook, they, they happen all the time. These things happen as we go through life, but accepting Jesus' sacrifice as payment for our sin changes. It can change our entire outlook on life. And Hebrews 10 tells us how. 
Look at 19.23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, who is Jesus himself, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This represents an amazing shift in the way we view life that occurs the moment you accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as payment for your sin. Look again at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Jesus' sacrifice means this. It means that we can relate to God without guilt. If we accept him as Lord and Savior, he erases our sin. This means we don't start out in a sin hole with God every day. Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a hole and I've got to crawl out of that hole with God. But if I feel like that, I'm not living in light of the truth. But sometimes I feel like I've got to do good. I've got to pray. I've got to do the religious stuff in order to crawl out of the hole so I can get to level ground and so I can make God happy and so I can do what I need to do. But Ephesians says, the book of Ephesians says, we have been that in Christ God has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We, we don't start the day in a pit. We, 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 we have been given a high place spiritually in Christ. We're with him spiritually, that is. And if you feel like you start the day in a pit or you feel like you're trying to crawl out a hole of a hole in your life, it's a lie. It's not the truth. We need to choose to live God's truth. And enjoy the life he's given and realize that we don't start in a pit. We start on level ground and more with him. There's so much in our life that's shaky and uncertain. And our perspective and outlook on life is changing as we experience life often. But Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. We can have assurance of forgiveness in him. He cleanses us from a guilty conscience. And when we catch ourselves living like we're trying to crawl out of a pit and make up for the wrong we've done, we need to go back to what Jesus has done and tell ourselves the truth. Lord God, I, I have come to you. I've accepted your payment on my behalf. And I know I don't start in a pit. I start on level ground because of what you've done. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you. Verse 23 goes on and says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In a world of uncertainty, we, we can hold on to this new outlook. And that's what it takes. Because it's very easy emotionally. It's easy to feel like you're sliding back into the pit. And i got to hold on. 
but we need to hold on to the hope. Jesus is our hope. He paid for our sin. We don't have to keep paying for it. He died on the cross to cleanse us from the guilt of the wrongdoing that we've done. It's right that some, someone who's made to do what the maker wants them to do, but we didn't. And it's easy to slide back into that sense that we're guilty. But our guilt has been erased if we trust what Jesus has done. We need to hang on to that. I can draw near to God guilt-free because He is faithful to me. This truth provides power to live. Before we accept Jesus' sacrifice, we put the pressure on ourselves to do something to make our relationship with God right. But choosing to put our trust in Christ and follow Him frees us from that pressure and allows us back into that close relationship with God. The perfect God. The one who's changing us. So finally, our new outlook that flows from knowing Christ changes our habits. Hebrews 10 continues. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our, our habits change when we accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers because our heart and identity change. Changes our hearts. And we become a part of the family, God's family. He, he adopts us as sons and daughters of his. And we want to spend time with our brothers and sisters. We want to meet together to encourage our family to do right. We, we don't meet together in church and in the groups during the week if you're a part of one. We don't have to do that to alleviate guilt like taking some kind of spiritual aspirin. But now we do it because we love God and we love the people who are following him. And we want to spur one another on. To love and good deeds out of gratitude for what Christ has done on the cross. It completely changes the reason we do what we do. God brings encouragement to us and we want to pass it along to others. You only know how to encourage people specifically when you're close enough to them to do that. To know what they need. So we keep meeting together. We keep spending time together. We do life together. Here on Sundays and in groups that meet during the week, we, we connect so that we can encourage and help each other hold on to the hope that we profess. We, we can freely and love and encourage people around us because we've been changed. We've been redeemed by the living God. Redemption stories are my favorite stories in movies and books. Les Miserables. I love that. love the theme that is woven through it. It gets your heart pumping, and it's, it's a fantastic story. But they get to our heart because we all know we need redemption. We all know we, would, we want a second chance. So when we see somebody get a second chance, that connects with us. I, I love it when forgiveness is granted and grace is extended. Because I need it so often myself. Most of the time, movie characters and redemption stories are redeemed by reaching deep 
and changing on their own power or some kind of magic. For instance, Groundhog Day. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Um, One of my favorite movies. Uh, Phil Connors is the main character, and he ends up living the same day over and over and over again. After he realizes what's happening, he lives, he lives a day. He completely botches it. He, he really is attracted to this woman, and he asks her out, and she puts him down uh, or rejects him or whatever, and then he lives the rest of the day, botches the day. And then he, he goes to bed, wakes up. It's the same time, same day. So after he realizes what's happening, he has a few reckless days where he just does crazy stuff, ends up, you know, check testing it out, I guess, to see if this is really happening. And no matter how crazy he gets, he keeps waking up on the same day. So for a while, he, he does some not-so-nice things. But then eventually, over time, he begins to change for good at first. He's changing because he finds out what this woman is attracted to, and he starts changing. But he actually changes for good, and he starts helping others. And the other thing I like about the movie is he gets the girl. Every guy likes it when, the, she gets, when he gets the girl, you know. But he changes for good. Earning our redemption, this is what we see in the redemption themes in movies and stories that people produce. That makes sense to us. Doing what we can to make up for the wrong we've done. But the truth is, there's no. how do you erase the past without the magic? How, how do you, that's the question. How do you erase the past? How do I erase yesterday if I'm not in some magical loop where I keep living the same day, trying to get it right? What do I do with that? Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the way that God has provided once and for all for us to connect with him. God's plan was for his son Jesus to take our place and sacrifice himself so you and I could be redeemed. Our part is to accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sin and to live for him which is right. This frees us from the guilt of past wrong. It frees us up to serve the one who redeemed us and to encourage those around us and bless them. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to find your connection card or look at the bottom of your listening guide. There's some next steps that are suggested. Uh, one of the next steps would be the first one, for the first time I commit my life to Christ, and will follow him as Lord. Um, if you've never come to the point where you've accepted Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sin, and you're ready to do that today, you, you could let us know. We would love to encourage you in that decision and help you nail it down in any way that we can. Uh, another step would be to encourage someone. It, it's hard to hold on to the hope we profess. It's hard to remember Sometimes that we're not in a pit and people need encouragement. When I hang around others who are walking with God, I'm in, I get encouragement from watching them and learning from them and letting them speak into my life. 
The third step could be to thank God every day this week for sending Jesus to redeem us. Just take the time to say thank you. Those are some suggestions. You may have had something else uh, come to mind that God's spoken to you about as I walk through this. Um, next week, we're going to wrap up the series uh, by looking at eternity. We're going to look at the last book of Scripture because the epic story continues on into eternity. And we're going to look at what, what can we expect in the next life and what can we know about heaven from the Scripture. We're going to dig into that next week. Love to have you come back for that. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in Scripture, for your kindness to us, and not just uh, wiping things out and starting all over when we've rebelled, but God, you have made a way for us to know you through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for what you've done. I ask for your, your, your help just to live in light of the truth, not to give in to um, the guilt feelings and the struggles, but to deal with things rightly before you, God. We, we ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.